Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Some creatives concentrate on one goal, mastering a specific craft. But others like to explore the great variety life has to offer. This week's guest is Brett Rounseville. He's done everything from writing screenplays and comic books to designing theme park attractions and creating startups. He shares with us how he chooses which projects to pursue next, why chasing a goal is both satisfying and necessary, and what keeps him creating even on the days when it's difficult. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Doing so really helps the show grow. I appreciate your support, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So welcome to the show, Brett. It's great to have you on. Hey, John. Great to be on. It's funny because we were talking a little bit beforehand about where to start this conversation because you have been involved with so many awesome creative stuff in your life. Um, <laughs> and the most natural thing I thought to start with is how I was introduced to you. And that was through this idea that you wrote, was it a list of 50 things? Or can you tell us about where your nickname Amtrekker came from and how that started and then maybe we can go forward or backward depending on where we want to go. Yeah, totally. So Amtrekker was this thing where um, I was working at Disney at the time in my dream job and I had made this list of 50 things that I had always wanted to do. Um, and this was in 2007, I think. So it was before the Bucket List movie came out. It seemed like a really novel way to kind of center yourself and decide some of the things you want to do and pursue in life. And uh, my sister had made one list and a coworker had made one list. I thought, all right, that sounds like a great idea. So I made this list of 50 things I wanted to do. And I printed it out and I put it on my kitchen uh, counter. And then I felt like an idiot every single morning. Every, every day I would wake up and I would see the list and everything on the list was completely doable. Like I could, I could take a long weekend and do just about anything on the list. And yet I was doing none of the things on the list. And then uh, I had this opportunity to take a, a little month long sabbatical from work. And I was like, you know what, I should go do a couple of these things. And then that turned into, you know what, I should go do all of these things. And then that turned into, and uh, furthermore, I'm not going to spend any money on lodging while I'm gone. And I'm going to write about it the whole time. And and even then, that turned out not to be enough. And another friend had talked me into doing podcasts, like video podcasts, because the video iPod had just come out. And so I started doing these weekly, uh, like documentary podcast series that that caught on in a pretty big way. I ended up on like uh, Good Morning America and Fox News and CNN and a whole slew of other outlets. And one thing led to another, and I had this amazing two-year experience where I just slept on strangers' couches and on park benches and and did amazing things when I wasn't trying to sleep. Now, I want to hold up for a second and kind of backpedal to something very specific that you said, which was that you were working your dream job 
but then you also have this list of stuff that you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because I think so many people, once they would hit what they would think is their dream job, like maybe if they're, they have a goal, a dream job that they want to get to, they might think, oh, when I get to that, I fulfilled the dream and I'll be super happy. So <laughs> what was it about being in the dream job that made you also look at your list of things and decide? That, because, you know, it sounds like you had to leave the job in order to pursue things in the way that you did. So I guess, was there something that just felt like you were unsatisfied with having that dream come true in a way? Like what prompted that? Um, man, that is a deep question um, and a good one. And there's a lot of different directions we could take on that. But uh, I would start with saying there is no end to life except the actual end. So there's there's always going to be something new to do. But I would also add that I, I didn't think I was leaving my job forever. I, I never was looking to leave. And once I left, I always thought I'd be going back. And something more interesting has just always stepped in the way for 15 years now but also in having that dream job i had already fulfilled a very long-standing goal i was eight years old so i grew up um pretty poor um and then my family would do like one one little trip to disneyland every year and we didn't live terribly far away from disneyland so even that wasn't a, a huge trip but it was a an amazing experience for a seven and eight year old and when I was eight at Disneyland, I was waiting in line, standing next to this mountain that I knew for sure was not there a year before. And that was very confusing for me. And uh, and so as we're waiting in line at Splash Mountain, my dad starts telling me about how the mountain was made. And he's like, no, like people people literally created this mountain. It's it's chicken wire and concrete. And they they put in the hours and they created this mountain. And that blew my little kid mind. I, I I was like, what? It is someone's job to make mountains? That is crazy. And so from the time I was eight until the time I was 24, my goal was I want to be a theme park designer. And it's what I went to college for. It's the only thing I ever had my sights set on. I ended up uh, interning at Disney in 2002, and then I was uh, I became a designer in 2004 and left in 2007. And even while I was there, the position that I worked in, you'd say we owned things from concept to installation. And so we mostly did like uh, sets for the attractions or props for the attractions or like lots of holiday decor like Christmas and, and Halloween. And so you would, you'd pitch the idea, you'd, you'd draw it up, you'd put it together, and then you'd even go into the park and install it in the middle of the night. And so you felt like this incredible ownership over whatever it was you were working on. And then you could get to go into the park on the weekend and see people smiling at this thing you made. So it was incredibly satisfying. It is true that it was both a finish line in sorts and also that there's no getting around that any kind of position in a corporation as big as Disney is going to involve uh, some bureaucracy. Um, and sure, the bureaucracy wasn't fun, but I still loved my job. I didn't think that I was leaving forever. And the reason to do the Amtrekker was, uh, experience was to do one more big thing to maybe... I don't know. This might be conjecture looking backwards too far without uh, a very good lens, but I certainly felt a little adrift in that I had a goal for, what is that, 
16 years and then I didn't have a goal. And now I had 50 new goals and that was very empowering for me. What is it about having a goal that you find so satisfying? I think it is because there there's too much life to live, right? Like there's no way we're going to do all of the things that we could possibly want to do in life. So you have to pick something and if you don't pick something, you're just a uh, a demagnetized compass floating around in water and not pointed at anything in particular. Um, so I think that it's hard to find satisfaction without a goal. And I think we're sort of all chasing satisfaction, whether we decide to write that goal down on paper or not. And you mentioned that, at least for a time, I, I'm assuming now you're thinking you're not going back to Disney, but I don't know, maybe you are. But, but um, you talk about how you always thought you were going back, at least for a time. Was there a moment or a new goal or an experience that made you think, you know what, I'm going to choose a different type of path to pursue. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to continue making a different set of goals. In a, in a manner, yeah. There, there was a period where I realized that I could accomplish more than 24-year-old Brett thought that he could accomplish. And, and so my my goals and aspirations definitely got bigger at a certain point. I've been involved in a lot of things over the years, whether it's like writing comic books or or scripts or whatever. But the things that that really bring me joy from a creative perspective are are the things that are too big to build alone, the things that you need to involve a team for. And so I, I've created a couple of companies in the past that have made me realize that I don't have to stop at a dream that has someone else's ceiling above my head. I can build that ceiling as tall as, as, I, as I would like it to be. And that means taking on a little bit of risk and a little bit of uncertainty, but it is also incredibly fulfilling even in failure. So do you find people to work with who have just a completely different set of skills than you to create something that's you're kind of describing the satisfaction and thrill of creating something that's beyond yourself almost in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to, right? Uh, like just like there is no end to the number of things that you could do in life, there is no end to the number of things you don't know how to do in life. And so if there's something big that you would like to create, you are almost definitionally going to need to pull people in who do things that you can't. And those are some of my greatest ongoing friendships now. Like having pulled someone into a dream that you can both share and build it together uh, creates such an awesome bond in life. With all of the different ideas that I'm sure are flowing through your head, how do you pursue a specific goal? Because you know, if you have the idea for a hundred companies, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to hit all of those. So I guess, are you concentrating on one based on what you think you can assemble the resources to do? Or are you pursuing one that you find most exciting? Yeah, it's a, it's a little of column A and a little of column B. Um, I, I think that it's mostly true that I probably have, you know, three to five side projects all getting pushed forward a little bit at a time at any given moment. And it is also likely true that one of those is going to get some sort of traction or start taking up so much time or start absorbing so much passion that it becomes the front runner. Uh, and then it's going to be equally true that at some point you're going to hit some sort of gate or blocker 
that is gated based on your own skill. And that's going to require you to bring in someone else. Uh, So it's pretty organic most of the time. Uh, But I would say there are times where I I feel like I need to do a thing. Like, for example, I, I, um, I started a company called Mission Pick that I shut down in 2019 after running for about four years. And I had this year that I took off. And at a certain point, I had my, you know, four or five side projects. And I was like, all right, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with enough specific direction right now. Uh, and so I very literally made a table that ranked, um, it, it ranked each of the projects based on uh, effort involved, uh, cost to me to create, and potential reward. And I and I decide, all right, I'm gonna run with the one that scores the highest on this grid, and uh, and I did. Was that mission pick specifically, or was this the project after mission pick? This was the project after mission pick. And what was that project that fulfilled all those requirements? So so it was uh it was this thing that became another company called uh, nearby. So that was also right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so there was this point at which I was I was just a dad sitting on the couch and I realized I was going to be in lockdown with two toddlers and I should probably like front load some birthday presents so I at least know that we have something to do while we're trapped in the house together. And uh, so I walked down to my local toy store and they were closed, obviously, because it was lockdown. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, so I went back home, uh, I bought some toys on Amazon, and I immediately felt like a jerk. And so I started walking around the neighborhood uh, in those following weeks, just feeling worse and worse about myself as I'd see like signs in stores, offering steep discounts and not knowing where their next sales were going to come from or whether they'd stay in business. And so uh, I decided to just draw a circle around my house and start calling all of those businesses and listening to their stories and making friends and trying to figure out if there was a place where their problems intersected my skill sets um, and eventually ended up on the North star of this project that I had to decide whether or not I was going to go forward on, um, which was like, what if, what if there was a place that I could go to where I could buy all of the things that I wanted, whether it was like a, a, children's book or a light bulb or some clean underwear buy it all at the same time put it on the same shopping cart it all shows up to your door in a couple of days all the stuff you'd expect from amazon but the two keys in my mind being one that you know that all of the items are coming from your local stores and two you know that all of the money is staying in your local economy uh and so that was on the grid and it scored the highest i started pursuing it i found some uh some one person in particular who was equally as passionate about as me about this project. Uh, and then um, she raised some money and then we built a team around that. And we spent about two years building that company right up until uh, a few months ago when we moved on to, uh, I, I work for Twitter now. We were, we were acquired by Twitter. That's such a fascinating and really inspiring story to especially hear all of those stages of the process. So it, like you taking us from the problem that you're seeing to actual execution, because it's interesting too how many people in general will think of, oh, I wish this existed or whatever. But here you are thinking through not only what you wish existed, but how it would work. And then to the point where you're executing 
bringing people together to form a company, a company that can do well enough to be sold to a larger company. And so that's just very cool to hear that whole story. What do you find is the most important part from bringing that concept to something that's real? Like, um, Because like I was hinting at, I feel like a lot of people will think about, oh, here's a story that I want to write, but you know, it's just kind of a, a dream in the back of my mind, or here's a company I would want to start if I started a company, but you know, it never gets beyond maybe writing it down in a notebook. What do you find is a vital step for you in terms of making those dreams realities? That's funny that you brought up the analog to writing because I, I think of it very similar to how I think of writing. Uh, like when, I, when I'm writing, for instance, I, I always start with an outline and it always starts as a very broad outline. So it'll be like, uh, I, I want this main character. I want him to suffer this problem. I want him to reach this solution. I want this, I want to be a bad solution. And then I want him to find a new solution or, or whatever. Like that might be as, as, as broad as my first passive an outline will be. Uh, and so it's the same idea with starting a company. It's, uh, I know that this is the problem. My hypothesis is that this is a good solution. I need to talk to these people to test that hypothesis. If that hypothesis is true, I will do A. If it is false, here's my new hypothesis. And so in writing, um, I think of it a lot like, uh, did you experience the internet of the early 90s? When I was fairly young. So you'll have to be more specific about what I experienced about it. Sure. Yeah. Do you remember like downloading a picture um, and you're and you don't know exactly what it's going to be? And the first pass is just a bunch of green pixels. And the next pass has some red pixels in the middle. And then the next pass flushes out the red pixels with the blue pixels. And before you know it, you're looking at a picture of uh, Spider-Man wearing a wizard hat. Yeah, but <laughs> so so I I understand that concept. It's a little free to what I experienced. So my my analog to that is loading up the Super Smash Brothers melee trailer and watching it <laughs> one frame at a time. Oh yes, yes, similar, but maybe not as good of an analog because it's a it's a full complete thing the first time you see it. It's just a full complete bad thing. And, and then as you start fleshing it out, it, it becomes more and more real. And I do the same thing when I'm writing. So that, that, that first outline that I write might as well be my final document because I'm going to take another pass putting stuff in between. I'm going to take another pass putting some dialogue in. I'm going to put another pass starting to write longer passages. Uh, and just uh, over time, it becomes the, the actual thing. And that is exactly the same as, as creating a company. You're always trying to figure out what those next tiny little pieces you can put in the middle of things to flesh it out are. And you very quickly discover either where your assumptions were wrong or where your blockers are or where you need help or where you need to rethink your own assumptions. Yeah. And I think that's helpful too, because I think with anything creative, a lot of people will think, oh, well, there's just people who execute and like they, they write a, a full novel, they just sit down and write it. And in a way, you do sit down and write a whole novel, but like you're describing, I, I definitely relate to those passes through it, like that first draft. And it's like, it's there, but even you can't really read it properly yet. <laughs> like you, you have to, like you said, keep fleshing it out. And eventually it turns into this polished thing that hopefully everyone can enjoy. Yeah, but I can't stress enough that it's eventually over a lot of time and a lot of effort and beating your head against walls. Yes, exactly. And so so I think that's 
the key to a lot of these creative endeavors is that is realizing that it's not some easy flip of a switch. It's this process. And, you know, most people looking at the end result, because there's very few people, right, who are going to see that rough like you'll you'll get feedback from people, um, whether it be a company or a first draft of a book, or if you're just learning to paint for the first time, you have teachers, instructors, people who have been there before, and you share those things with them. But the illusion at the end for most people, the end user of your product or the reader of your book or watcher of your film, whoever it might be, they see the polished thing. And so that awareness of the struggle and the different iterations of it are usually not in the forefront of their mind because you've gone through and made it so polished. Yeah. I I always uh, describe that as like, as a creator, you always have to remember that you see everyone else's highlight reel and your own behind the scenes featurette. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool way to think about it too. And a much more exciting way to think about it than, uh, than the sometimes (laughs) ugly grind of getting there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What would you say of all these different projects you've done from creating apps and companies to making comic books you mentioned and writing screenplays, what have you enjoyed the most, would you say? Or is it just kind of the the diversity of the things you've worked on that you enjoy? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I like the diversity. I like trying something new. I think my entire life I've been drawn to things that I'm bad at, uh, or at least things that I'm bad at hold the greatest curiosity for me. And so uh, I, I end up throwing myself into things that I don't quite understand. And, and luckily over 40 years, it's made me like a better than average generalist uh, for real life. But in the creative world, it means that I spend, you know, years trying to do one thing really well. And then I, I have a finished product and then I feel good about it. And then I think to myself, all right, what's something you know, tangential to this that I can try next, which isn't, uh, is not a path for success by any stretch. I I feel like if you wanted to be a successful comic book writer, you wouldn't write two great comic books that you're proud of and then try screenplays. That's, that's a waste of time. Uh, but my goal is not necessarily to become a successful comic book writer or, or screenwriter. My goal is mostly to fulfill my own curiosity. Um, and, but, but, with quality in mind, uh, I, I guess it's a little like the concept of gumption from Zen and the art of motorcycle madness, uh, motorcycle maintenance. This is interesting to me too, because it's, it's not, and you're kind of hinting at this already, but it's not the advice that like, if you go to like, a a book to find success in a certain pursuit, you know, everyone will hammer on some sort of focus, but it sounds like you've, especially you talk about selling your company and, like that's a certain a certain type of success that you're reaching and doing that. Do you find that working on these different things and finding a, like you said, tangential new project to work on and tying things together that way, do you think that variety and diversity of pursuits has in a way also helped you? And and what what would your argument be for that? compared to someone who might be like, let's imagine there's someone young who's, who has your kind of curiosity about a great many things. And then they're being told by an instructor that the real path is, is through meticulously focusing on one specific thing. 
would you not even worry about telling someone that they can find some sort of success in a different approach? Part of it for me is is it has a lot to do with like your your risk reward profile, right? Uh, if you if your goal is to become a, a successful comic book writer, then absolutely what you should do is focus on writing comics and continue to write comics your entire life. I I think of that as really similar to running a marathon, right? Uh, And maybe not in the way that you would think. I I mean, when you start a marathon, if you stay on the course, you know that you will end at the finish line and you know that the reward is a medal. Uh, Whereas if you stray from the path of the marathon and you end up, uh, I don't know, downtown at a bar on accident, and in that bar, there are two people, one who has a knife and one who has a job offer, then that is something that you never would have experienced if you had stayed and run the marathon. And uh, there is one risk that is super adverse, and there is one risk that has a very high ceiling, but it is not known. And for whatever reason, I am drawn to the unknown more than the known. Uh, And I am drawn to, uh, I guess, the higher rewards being associated with higher risks. And so in living the lifestyle that I have lived, where I have turned myself into this ridiculous generalist instead of a uh, a very focused, very high quality person in, in one section, all I have ever actually succeeded in doing is, is making, is making a, a Brett. And uh, sometimes it is very valuable to be Brett because there are a couple of Brett-shaped holes in the world. It is not often valuable to be a Brett. But when it is, uh, I'm the only one who can fill that hole, and it's very satisfying and very rewarding. And would you say all this stems back to that list of 50 things you made, the the Amtrekker list that we're talking about at the beginning? Because you had so many different things in that list. Was that an articulation of the Brett that you wanted to be in the future or like, was that you kind of telling yourself that that's what you wanted to do? Or was it you exploring those things made you realize that you love that approach to life? Yeah, I think, I think a little of both. I I think it was an outgrowth of, of how I felt because I would say that almost all of the things on the list were there because they were things that I felt like I was either born in the wrong time or place to get to experience naturally. So they weren't necessarily like super difficult things to do. They were things that I never would have done growing up in California uh, in the like 80s and 90s. And so they were like, uh, catch a firefly or pet a sloth or take part in a civil war reenactment. Um, I mean, some of them were bigger and more difficult to do, obviously, but many of them were just experiences that I wouldn't have been able to gather. So one, creating the list was certainly an outgrowth of of that curiosity that I've always held. Uh, but more importantly, completing the list was what made me realize that there is a power in that and that I am capable of doing it. And how do you think that translate? Like if you were in a in a room full of people who felt like they had some sort of creative thing that they wanted to pursue, but they were almost like scared to do it. Is 
making a list like that something that you would recommend is helpful? Or do you feel that was more unique to your personality? What do you think is a good approach for people who want to pursue something creative in their life? I think making a list like that is absolutely valuable because it is always going to be reflective of your personality. Like you, your list is not going to look anything at all like my list. And I think that it is still a great way to center yourself because it is very easy to write a list of 10 things that you would like to do in life. But to write a list of 50 things requires some actual looking inside yourself. When you did that, did you find like, I don't know what the right word for this is, but I, I feel like sometimes you look in yourself and you like, I don't know when, when I wanted to do writing, sometimes when I would look at that early on, it would almost feel like embarrassing. Like it, like it's something that it's like, well, that would be cool. But because I haven't pursued it yet, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was possible or something that I could actually do. Did you feel that with anything that you wrote down that almost like surprised you that you wanted to do it or that you just felt like almost scared to admit that you wanted to do? Nothing specifically comes to mind. I think that there are certain things that I did that I was surprised I liked as much as I did, which is maybe sort of the same thing. But let me let me let me go in a different direction with this. This this same same idea, but a little bit of a tangent because I I feel like uh, that inward looking is is very important to creativity, and I think the reason it is important to creativity is because it gives whatever you are working on some sort of direction, and I think that for example, if you create something, even in its earliest forms if you're allowing someone to read uh, an outline as opposed to a first draft, if you pay attention to how that makes the other person react, then you'll have a leg up on everyone else who is creating. Uh, but if you pay attention to how it makes you react, then you're unstoppable in that endeavor because people are always going to either be unable to articulate how they feel or they may even not be completely truthful about how they feel but if you're willing to look inside enough to know what your version of truth is you're always going to know exactly how at least one person feels about what you're working on uh, and the nice thing about the world now uh, being so interconnected is that with seven plus billion people in the world, there are very good odds that many more people feel exactly the same way you do. So it's a lot more about personal honesty than it is about any one thing. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up specifically too, because I think that is such a difficult part of creativity is getting that honest feedback. Because again, it's like you have people who they, they, genuinely want the best for you and sometimes it's difficult to like especially when you're doing something new and you need to hear about what you're bad at with it people don't always want to tell you even though they might even deep down know that that's what's best to help you improve but it's just like difficult and awkward right and so you're kind of hinting at that idea of trusting your gut and listening to what you think works and doesn't work and what you want to see. But then at the end of the day, you also, once you've been doing something for a while to you get almost too close to it and 
it can be difficult to see that too. Are there things that you've found are good tricks for getting more honest feedback from other people? Or do you mostly rely on your gut instincts for those sorts of things? I think that it is certainly valuable to get feedback from other people. I think if you're trying to get the most honest feedback from other people, the best you can do is to get feedback from several people. Um, but also, it, there is kind of a, a trick to listening to the answers behind the answers or the questions behind the questions when people are, are giving you feedback. And it's pretty easy to tell where things have gone wrong based on your own reactions to their feedback. I like it. You you probably know that your dialogue is not great, but it's fine. It's good enough. I wrote a good thing. And then when uh, when someone gives you feedback that's like, this is great. I loved every minute of it. It's weird that he said this one thing right here. Then you're like, oh, yeah. If I'm really being honest with myself, it's because I wasn't honest with myself earlier about the dialogue not being where it needs to be yet. So Brett, with all of these things that you're involved with, you know better than most, I would say, about just the sheer difficulty of trying new things, especially creatively, starting these companies, writing screenplays, writing comic books, pursuing things that are new, uh, both new and exciting. We talked a lot about that you like pursuing your curiosity, but when the days get really difficult, those days that you feel like, man, I should quit and do something else, do something that's that's less difficult. What keeps you going on those tough days to pursue these endeavors? Well, what keeps me going on tough days specifically is that I'm pretty good at breaking things into into smaller and smaller tasks. Uh, and I think that's important. If you if you break things into small enough tasks, eventually everything is more or less the same level of difficulty. Uh, it it's going to be something that takes ten hours of work a day, but it's never going to take more than ten hours of work a day as long as you understand that it may take ten thousand days instead of five days. Uh, so in in one regard, like e each day is about the same as any other as long as you have faith that each day is going to bring you a little bit closer to your goal. But as far as like why I keep going on those, on those hard days, I, I want to have some sort of impact in the world, uh, regardless of whether or not it's creative. And I think I spoke to that a little bit in just in regards to not having gone back to Disney and just wanting to have a higher ceiling than I, than I had before. It all just comes back to wanting, wanting to leave a mark of some kind. Right. Yeah, I think I can definitely relate to that too, because there's one sort of satisfaction in accomplishing something, right? Like checking it off the list, like, oh, I wanted to write this book and I did write that book. But it's a whole different story when you get someone who read your work and they give you feedback where they were like enthralled with the story. Or maybe if you're a, a baker and you're creating a cake and the client who had a birthday party for their son is just like, oh, everyone loved it. And seeing that you did something beyond the self-satisfaction, right? Like like knowing that you gave something back to the world and and didn't just boost your own ego, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And And you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't have to be a mark that every person in the world sees or feels. Uh, even if you've done something that really moves or touches one person, that is every bit as satisfying. What's the best way to find those people who would be 
affected by your work in a positive way. Like, like when you're creating a company that serves a particular audience, where do you even start with finding that audience? Oh man, that is a different answer for every single project. Uh, I, I think that people in general like to find people like themselves in the world. I think we have an inherent desire to create tribes in some way. And so the odds are very good that whoever you are looking to contact has already raised their their hand and said, hey, I'm the person that you are looking to contact. And they live somewhere in the world, metaphorically. Um, so there's a, a given amount of it that's just homework. Like you should be asking questions and looking around and uh, Googling and, and finding where those people live already. Uh, and then the next step is to become one of them. And that's how you find that internal truth that that drives it closer and closer to being something that fits in with what you're trying to create. Well, Brett, this has all been super fascinating and helpful. I think we tackled such a wide breadth of things from like practical advice for people who are looking to do things as well as, you know, kind of answering the spirit of the show about why you love to do what you do. What are some ways that people can connect with you if they want to either experience things that you've created in the past or keep up with your new endeavors as as you work on new projects in the future? The easiest place to find me and things that I've created is on uh, Twitter at Amtrekker, A-M-T-R-E-K-K-E-R. Well, great. Thanks again, Brett. It was great talking with you and I really appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks a lot, John. It was great talking to you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. If you want to hear more about embracing the creative challenges life has to offer, check out episode 34 with photographer Lauren Westra. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are two ways to support the show. First, share your favorite episodes with a friend. And second, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Both those things really help. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's j-o-n at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.